We're going to get you ready for NC State on today's show. Also, big recruiting development, Tim, for Judah Mintz. And what could he bring to Syracuse? Is this an immediate splash in the class of 2022? And what does it mean moving forward? What is this roster going to look like down the road? We'll get into all of that and more on today's Locked on Syracuse podcast. You are Locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome in. It's your Wednesday Locked on Syracuse. Tyler Aki alongside Tim Leonard. We're with you every single day. The only place to get daily orange podcasts. Check out the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And thank you for making us your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all platforms. That includes YouTube. So be sure to like this video, subscribe, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. And also Rate review as well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Let's start with some recruiting buzz here, Tim, because I think this is a very interesting development, one that you usually don't get on February 1st of the basketball recruiting cycle, and it is the sudden market of Judah Mintz and what could he bring to the Syracuse team. So he decommitted from Pitt shortly, uh, or not too long ago, rather, and all of a sudden, you've got a top 50, top 60 um, shooting guard, combo guard on the market now. This could really bolster the orange class heading into this 2022 because I think something that we've seen right now with this class of 2022, even though it's got a lot of guys in it, we've seen it steadily drop in the rankings from once being top 10 to now it's sitting at 25th. And that's what happens when you have more of a volume class as opposed to a class predicated on ratings. We've seen a number of these SU guys slip. Um, it's to the point now where once upon a time you had two guys in the top 100. Now you've barely got one. It's Chris Bunch sort of clinging on at that 96 rating right now. But you had Judah Mintz. I mean, this is a really quality piece for your team moving forward. Yeah, well, Jim Beheim has already called this incoming class the best class I think he's ever had. At one point, he said that, which I say jokingly. I'm sure the because, yeah, I'm sure the G Mac and Carmelo Anthony class is a close second. I'm yeah, sure it's a right. Close second. <laughs> I'm sure there were some of the Big East heyday classes, Dion Waiters, etc., where they were right up there, I guess. But he yeah. did make the claim. I think it's he a solid class, mm -hmm. but. We've always said about this class, the one thing it's missing is that quote unquote day one starter, maybe. Now, Jim Beheim says two or three of the freshmen, as is right now, are going to start. But we had the conversation with James Zuba. And if you missed that, go back and check out our podcast from yesterday. It was great having him on. And we asked him, All right, let's play the hypothetical. This is who returns. You had these five freshmen. Everything goes according to plan, which it won't. But let's just play that hypothetical, which the coaching staff has to do right now. Is it a tournament team next year if you bring back who we think and you add these freshmen? And I think he and you even said it as well. Like, you probably want to add someone to the transfer portal if you're not. And I don't think that's a tournament team, to make my opinion clear on that. I think it's a fringe tournament team at best. Could they make it? Maybe. But it's not all that exciting. I think it's even worse roster-wise than this year's team, maybe, considering you're losing buddy Bayheim in this hypothetical and i know a lot of people have been tweeting at us well buddy could come back but i'm not anticipating that right now so if you add in mince you already do have four guards probably returning even if buddy doesn't come back but mince is a day one starter and you really need that right now and james zuba on the show yesterday that you alluded to brought up the point of 
Well, that's a lot of guards you have on this team. Like it's it's almost shocking to a degree that Syracuse is getting involved given the number of guards on on the team. But here's what I'll say. In this day and age, you can never have enough guards. You can never have enough guards. It's a guards game. That's what it, and Jim Beheim knows that. He's talked about it a number of times on various radio shows where, okay, like, yeah, Syracuse has had trouble developing the center over the past five, ten seasons, but guess what? It's not a center's game. Hasn't been for quite some time now. I mean, look at some of the best schools right now in college basketball. They've got tremendous guards and tremendous guard play, and it's not just one guy. You've got two or three guys on your roster that you feel very comfortable. Like, you look at this team right now, you barely have one guy that you trust to bring the ball up across the timeline. Like, you need yeah. depth at the guard position. And Judah Mintz is a guy who, I mean, you talk about it, like, he could be a starter on day one. He could be that guy where, okay, yeah, you're probably going to see some sort of mass exodus, at least from a starter's vantage point from this roster. You need a guy like a Judah Mintz who can step in and be a force for you right away. I will say, originally, I got excited about the idea when I saw his rankings and everything and what his position is. He's a 6'3 guard. And I thought, man, this could be great. Maybe he's more of a true point guard, and that's why they're going after him, because they understand Joe Girard isn't well-equipped to play that position, and they've tried it for three years now, and it really hasn't panned out to the degree that we would have hoped for. But watching his tape, getting more in-depth on his game, he feels to me like more of the new era point guard, the AAU era yeah. point guard that mm -hmm. is more score-first mentality. And we do need to score. If Buddy's gone, that's a lot of production. If Cole Swider leaves, like there's going to be plenty of scoring to fill in. But it doesn't feel like him and Joe Girard would be foils of each other or necessarily do things. I mean, he's Joe Girard's more of a shooter. This guy's more of driving to the basket, creating, getting in the paint. He's really good at scoring through contact. So all that stuff is great. He's got a really quick first step. He's more athletic. So... He's a different player than Joe Girard, but he's still a score first player, which means it's not the ideal scenario. I'd say I think you want a point guard first player really badly, but I would still happily take Mintz if he comes. He's right. 35 on the ESPN 100. He's a talented guy. Yeah, I'm looking at the the 24 seven. So Jerry Meyer does evaluations for every single, I think, top 100 player. He does a good number of players here. And he says, uh, here's the, the scouting report on Mintz. A physical lead guard with the length and skill to play shooting guard, a functional athlete who combines solid traditional athleticism with impressive crafty body control athleticism does possess an extra gear to separate from defenders and make defensive plays is a keep the defense honest long distance shooter who's developing beyond that mark strength as, as a score is pressuring the rim is a resourceful finisher plays with power to the rim with his low center of gravity style utilizes fakes and pivots well, has potential as a post-up threat, rebounds his position, is a smart, disruptive, and versatile defender. You know what that screams to me? I see a lot of Jaden Ivey in that description right there. And remember, Jaden Ivey was sort of in this area of the recruiting rankings as well. And you've got a guy who's playing at one of the, the top sort of prep schools in the country too in Oak Hill. So I, I would very much welcome this. And, and here's the big thing to me. You talk about his defense in the scouting report. Like this team needs to flip a switch defensively. And I think yep. they will be better defensively next year. If that's one thing I that we so. <laughs> it can't really get can only go up. <laughs> right. But you look at some of the guys, like you're going to get back to more of the traditional athletes, the length, the athleticism that you're going to have in this defense. Assuming that you don't have buddy Bayheim, assuming that you don't have Jimmy Bayheim, 
You likely don't have Cole Swider. You're going to be replacing that with guys who I think have much better athleticism. When you look at guys like Copeland, Bunch, um, if you were to get a guy like Mintz, even Justin Taylor, I think is a pretty good athlete as well. So you're going to be replacing guys that fit your system. So at least at a minimum, you'll be better defensively. Offensively, I'm expecting a, a pretty decent step back next year. But defensively, I think this team can take a step up for sure. Yeah, he's an exciting prospect for sure. And it looks like Syracuse is kind of in sort of a top five, top six right now. Mike McAllister wrote a good article talking with him after he went on the Zoom call. And he has said that he's trying to schedule a visit for Syracuse. And right now he does have visits scheduled in the coming weekends for NC State and DePaul. I saw Kevin Keats was actually at his most recent Oak Hill game, I think. So they're recruiting him hard. So Maybe just whoever wins the Syracuse NC State game nope. gets him, right? Like, <laughs> right. this could be a game he's watching. I, I would say it, it's something that he's got his eye on, knowing that. But I wish he that also happened visited... more, where it was like, uh, oh, recruits up, like you're in a final two yeah. or a final three, and the two the teams were playing, and, like you play for the services. I think that would be awesome. More of that. Yeah, more, but it's please. also for the kid. I, I don't think you want to put anything out of your hands. You know, <laughs> it's a pretty big decision for where you're going to school and everything. The part that worries me a little bit is he's talking a lot about the NBA and some of his comments to Mike McAllister. And I do think Syracuse has a pitch. They could yeah. say, look, buddy's gone. He scored 20 points. We ran all our plays through him pretty much. You could be that guy. We desperately need someone to create. We desperately need someone to get in the paint. You can be that guy. You can finish at the rim. We haven't had that to the degree that we need. But if he wants to get to the NBA, I mean, he did say something nice about Syracuse in that article. He said, First off, he said, you can't ignore the history with Coach Beheim. He's a winner. And then he also said, having seen guards that played similar to me go to the NBA is a big thing, too. Yeah. I just think, like, NC State's got a little bit better track record of that. Well, NC yeah. State does have a, point a lot that. of guys returning, though, too. Yeah. Let's put a pin in it real quick. We'll get into that because I, I do want to bring up something about the NBA and just the overall competition that Syracuse appears to be going up against for the services of Judah Mintz. But first, it's the New Year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, Built Bar needs to be a part of your plan. It is the protein bar that tastes even better than a candy bar. And it makes it easier to stick to your resolution as well because Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. The bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories. 30 grams of sugar and dozens of net carbs and even if you're not a huge fan of working out you can at least eat something that tastes good and the best part about built bars is that they come in so many different flavors our favorite on the show the peanut butter brownie you've also got the coconut almond the raspberry the cookies and cream and so many more plus they're always coming out with new limited time flavors as well so check out built.com often to see what's new on the site and right now when you go to built.com and use the promo code locked 15 you'll get 15 percent off your order again that's promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com The competition for Judah Mintz. So 24-7 kind of has it broken down a little bit here. Again, he was once upon a time committed to Pitt. 
And now 24-7 has him as a – he's got the warm designation next to four schools right now. So it's basically a four-school four race. I'm sure a couple other schools might get involved in the next couple of days, week, or something like that because he says he doesn't want to really make a, a decision until I think it's like the Geico Nationals, which I believe happens late March, early April. So this might be a while. This could be sort of a drawn-out process too. But the schools right now with the warm designation, you've got DePaul – NC State, Wake Forest, and Syracuse. DePaul, he's got a visit lined up for February 8th, so a week from today as of us recording this. And then NC State, he's got one lined up for February 17th. He's trying to get one done with Syracuse in the near future, and I'm assuming the same will be the case with yep. Wake Forest as well. So when you look at this, and you brought up the fact that he, br he said the whole thing about the NBA pedigree from these schools. These four schools don't have a lot of NBA pedigree at the position he's coming from here. Like you look at Syracuse, obviously as of late, not a lot. You look at Wake Forest as of late, not a lot from the, from the guard spot. You look at DePaul, there's like no NBA pedigree there in the last like 20, 25 years since like Quentin Richardson, pretty much. Um, although someone's going to clap back at me with a Max Struess or something like that. But um, and then you look at NC State and it's like Dennis Smith Jr. That's about it. So from an yeah, NBA, TJ Warren, TJ Warren, say. I guess, too. But yeah. TJ Warren, is he he's pre Kevin Keats, though, isn't he? Yeah, no, I think he is. So yeah. so it's it's a little bit different there. So you look at those four schools, there's not the necessarily NBA pedigree for any of them that they can cling to. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think Syracuse ha is on par, or uh, they're actually, they're better than most of those schools, yeah. honestly. I mean, Xavier, like he NBA visited as well. is not going to hold back Syracuse in, in, in this competition here, I don't yeah. think. It's not like Kentucky and Duke are circling him. It's kind right. of one of those players that is probably just outside of that range, and if he was going to go to Kentucky or Duke, it would have already committed. Like, they've got right. their classes now, and they're probably set. And, you know, one angle you could take to this is Syracuse already has five guys. Why are they going after a sixth guy? Wouldn't that be sort of unprecedented to get six guys in one class? I've seen some people floated out there on Twitter and stuff. Maybe that's not a good thing for Copeland. Maybe he's not as committed as Syracuse thought originally. Or, or maybe it could be that they thought Copeland was going to grow more. They thought Justin Taylor, when he went down to IMG, was going to grow more and it hasn't panned out as much, who knows? I don't necessarily view it as that secretly means that one of those guys is leaving or a Joe Girard might be leaving or something like that, and they have a hint of that. I just think there's a need for talent on next year's yeah. roster, and mm -hmm. there's a need for numbers. And that goes back to why I, I initially thought they really needed a five-person class, and they were going to get five players, because when I did this number game two, three months ago, when they were after a Chris Bunch for that fifth spot, there's definitely a hole there. And we're still seeing it when Beheim says he might start two to three of the freshmen next year. Yeah. And this is a rare chance that you have to add someone this late in the class. And your competition is sort of sparse. Like this is a guy who probably, if all the classes were reset, he's probably getting more of the, the high power five looks as opposed to, some of the, the middling to low ACC teams and, and DePaul, right? Like this is a guy who if, if Duke had the roster spots for this guy, if UNC had the roster spots for this guy, they'd probably be looking at him 
right now. But right now, I mean, those classes are sort of set in stone, and you know you're going to be a premier transfer destination just because of the name on the front of the jersey. If you're a Kentucky, a Duke, something of that, a Kansas, something of that nature. Syracuse is actually, I think, catching this in the perfect little in-between where in your class that you have, albeit a large one, you know you're going to be losing a lot of guys heading into next season in all likelihood. And this guy would be the best guy in your class. And like you said, the need to add talent is clearly there. And this guy would elevate your class because he'd already become your number one guy in a class that quite frankly, has slipped a little bit from what we maybe initially anticipated. And you kind of catch it in the right spot because everyone else is going to be sort of fishing for transfers because their classes are sort of finalized with the upper echelon talent. Meanwhile, for Syracuse, I think you got some flexibility in that department just because this guy would be the cream of the crop in your 22 class. Yeah, and who knows if UNC or Duke. I mean, he's definitely gotten a little bit better in the rankings since he committed to Pittsburgh, it seems like, or decommitted, I guess, and has cut back on the open market here. But it doesn't look like UNC or Duke or Kentucky or any of those schools were after him initially, even before they had their classes committed. So it's hard to say who would be after him if it was starting – from scratch here, but the bottom line is you see his rankings 24 seven composite 53rd best player. If Syracuse can reel in a player like that, that's their best add to this class. And you're right. They need the talent right now. I view this almost as you're just starting your process in the transfer portal. They need to add someone in the yeah. transfer portal. That is a score. And to me, if you add a mint, it's not the same because you don't necessarily know what you're getting as much with a freshman compared to a transfer portal ad, but in all likelihood, you're probably not going to get a transfer portal ad. That's like a Quincy Garrier and is coming off a season where he was a huge contributor on that roster. It could happen. There will be guys that enter the portal that are in that situation like Quincy, but it's probably more likely to be a Cole Swider type player where you're seeing if he can take a step up and play more minutes for you. So right. to me, if you add mints, it's doesn't take away any spots from anyone else. It doesn't mean anyone else is leaving. It just means that they're sort of getting a head start on adding players in the off season, which I think they will look to add someone in the portal. Right. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into NC State a little bit here, and we're going to start today's preview with our guy, Anthony DeBundo. You can catch him every week on the show, DeBundo's Digits. He gives you the advanced analytics report. Let's take a look at the Syracuse bench. What's going on with this Syracuse bench? How can they improve? What are the numbers sort of backing everything up? Let's dive into it right now. Here's DeBundo's Digits. The numbers you need to know. Anthony DeBundo breaks down the biggest stats for this week's Syracuse matchup. DeBundo's Digits. On the Locked On Syracuse Podcast. Before we dive into the matchup on Syracuse and NC State, let's dive into the Syracuse bench a bit deeper. For starters, only one team in the entire country uses their bench less than the Orange, and it's our friends to the West at St. Bonnie's. It's the least the Orange have used their bench since the 2017-18 season that had them in the Sweet 16 and had them playing walk-on Braden Bayer at the end of the second round against Michigan State because of foul trouble. The most interesting bench statistic that I found is with the centers, where the Orange are sacrificing offense and adding defense when Frank Anselm is in the game. When Frank is in, Hughes allows 
a 29% field goal percentage in the mid-range, compared to 35% when Jesse Edwards is in the game. They're also much better at protecting the rim when Frank is in, 8% better defensively at protecting the rim with Anselm in and Edwards out. But overall as a whole, the defense forces marginally more turnovers when Frank is in, they allow fewer offensive rebounds, and fewer good looks at the rim when Frank is in. Jesse's foul trouble issues aren't really a concern because of how well Frank has defended. With that being said, the Orange do actually lose more on offense than they gain on defense when Frank is in the game. They score way less at the rim, and they shoot a much worse percentage at the rim when Frank is in compared to Jesse. Jesse is much better at drawing fouls. He gets to the line a lot more. They're about five points per 100 possessions better with Jesse Edwards in the game compared to Frank Anselm when you take into account both offense and defense. That doesn't mean Frank is useless. He is playing a vital role, getting about 23% of the minutes this season. Might even see that go up a little bit. Depends on the foul trouble. And the impact of Saimir Torrens can best be felt in the Orange's assist rate. The offense and defense aren't actually all that different when you put Joe or Saimir in at the point guard, but the ball certainly moves a lot better on offense. The Orange have a 64% assist rate with Torrance in the game, compared to just 53% when Gerard is in. Saimir adds a little bit to the offensive rebounding too that Joe doesn't, but overall, there's a very negligible difference in how well they defend the three, how well they shoot the three. All of the metrics across the board are very similar. You're just getting more ball movement with Saimir in the game. That brings us to Benny Williams, which the advanced metrics do not like, and I know that hurts the podcast host's ears, but the defense has only been about a point better per 100 possessions when Benny is in the game versus when he's not. The only added benefit has come in the turnovers force department. The Orange do force about 2% more turnovers uh, than when Benny is in the game compared to when he's not. Getting into NC State now, the Wolfpack have been pretty unlucky defensively on three-point defense, allowing teams to shoot a ridiculously unsustainable 41% from three in conference play. They don't guard the perimeter that well, but they've also been really unlucky. They allow the fourth most open catch-and-shoot threes in the entire country. They do defend shooters off the dribble pretty well, so it will be important to get the ball moving and try to get open shots on spot-ups, but Q should be able to get plenty of good looks from three in this game. It's really about knocking them down, which they did in some games, and they haven't done in others. The Wolfpack stink at finishing at the rim. They get very mediocre looks at the rim generally, so it could be a good matchup for the Orange, even though the spot for Cuse is brutal. Coming off a blowout win, while the Wolfpack were just embarrassed at North Carolina, losing by 20 on the road. NC State does use a lot of ball screens, which also tends to struggle against zones. I think it's a major reason why the Orange have had so much success against them in the last few years, including winning all three matchups last year. But NC State can generate good looks from the perimeter and does have positive three-point shooting regression coming. They're a much better shooting team based on the numbers than they've actually shot it this year. Do think that could be a danger zone spot for Syracuse, but overall, I don't really have a strong read on this game. The spot is bad for the Orange, but this is a must-win road game, and it should be a tight finish. Our thanks, as always, to Anthony DeBundo. Find his work on the Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter, at Anthony DeBundo, as well. Some good stuff there on Frank Anselm, the rest Mm -hmm. of the bench. Good stuff. Uh, Just kind of sussing everything out. Who is maybe playing a little bit better? You heard him talk about Frank. Who is maybe playing a little bit worse than we kind of have talked about and that's benny williams not maybe not as as proficient as we see at least that's the way the numbers say so um it, it was 
nice little interesting perspective there. All right, we will get into the prop shop as well as our game picks as well. But first, there might be less football being played, but betonline.net has way more stuff to bet on this season from score points scored, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds is the best in the business from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online is your number one wagering destination. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite sports games. Bet online is where the game starts. All right, let's dive into the prop shop here and looking a little bit at, at last week and how we, how we fared with everything that went on last week. Um, you look at the records, you once again kind of stole the show, uh, a nice little 4-0 spot for you. I last week went, uh, what I go? I went 2-4 and four last week. So you hit on Syracuse as well as the over. I went with Wake and the under. We both hit Buddy to be the leading scorer, and Benny got more than seven and a half minutes. So let's start with this. Let's just start with the leading scorer here. Who's going to lead Syracuse? Will it be Buddy? You're juicing him up a little bit more. He's yeah. down to minus 145. Gerard plus 350. Jimmy plus 350. Swider plus 495. Jesse plus 550. Or if you want to go off the board, plus 1,000. Yeah, so I went back and looked because I was curious, are these lines good enough? Because I feel like any line right now, I would pick Buddy. So that's why I juiced him up. So I tallied the 21 games. Guess how many times Buddy has led the team in scoring in Syracuse's 21 games so far? 21 games, I will say 12, 13, 13. I'll go 13. 14 times, so 14, pretty good okay. guess. But, I mean, that's a ton of – in nine yeah. of the last 12 games, he's led the mm -hmm. team. Yeah. So you're looking at like a 60% clip there on the season, plus even a little bit better lately. I think you have to put him up in the minus 145 range. I'm still going to take him, though, even though the juice is not in our favor and I gave a little bit more of a boost to the other guys. I still think he's the guy that if you pick him every single time, you're probably making back money on this bet, and that's what I've been riding with. You know, I'm tempted to, to get a little crafty here. I'm tempted to go with a little Jesse Edwards. I think this might be a good spot for him. Maybe some offensive rebounds is a really bad rebounding, uh, at least from an offensive rebounding standpoint, or rather defensive rebounding standpoint in this case for, for NC State. I, I'll go with Jesse. I'll play the Jesse card here. Right. You hit it one time. I feel like we, we each get a Jesse. We'll each hit a Jesse this year. <laughs> so this might be the last time I'm going to take it. But yeah, I'll, I'll roll with Jesse Edwards to be the team's leading scorer in this one. And of course, no Manny Bates as well. They haven't had him all season long. That's a big time shot blocker that you really can't replicate the defense of. All right, more three-pointers in this contest. Will it be NC State or Syracuse? Yeah, DeBundo did a good job laying out how NC State has really had a tough time defending the three so far this year. And it's funny, these teams are very much the Spider-Man yeah. meme. Like, yeah. they are the same thing. And even, I looked at NC State's record, and I was like, 10 and 12, yeesh, that's pretty bad. And then I had this tough moment where I realized, gosh, we're 10 and 11. Like, we were just 9 yeah. and 11. <laughs> that's just as bad. So they've got very similar records. They both are offensive-minded with bad defense, and they both can't really guard the three-point line and shoot a decent amount of threes on offense. I'm going to say that, because NC state is sort of inexperienced and can't really pass the ball. Great. They're going to fall into the trap a little bit of just chucking a lot of threes. They don't have a ton of shooters, 
but I think they have enough. And when you factor in that they usually, you know, DeBundo hint, hinted at the ball screens and how much they rely on that. And that's not great against the zone. And they struggled against the zone last year because of that. I feel like a little bit, I'm going to say they get into a three point contest, which means they just attempt a lot more than Syracuse. So they make some more than Syracuse and I'll take them. Yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with Syracuse actually in this one. You, you brought up the terrible three point defense. Um, I, I really think this could be a, a big time buddy performance. Plus we've seen some big road performances too. In, at NC. Like there's always a weird performance at NC state. John Gillen. State, like yeah. John Gillen. I mean, people forget in that game, like Andrew White also went off in that game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Braswell had a game where he had, I think you were there. He had like four steals yeah. and a half. Like, is this going to be the Benny game that we, we start talking about too? Like, who knows what's going to happen there? And, and you brought up the youth as well. This is an NC State team that is outside the top 300 in the country right. in experience. So... I'll go with Syracuse to make some more threes. When you're a little more inexperienced, I think it also plays to your defense a little bit as well. Who's going to win the turnover margin in this game? Where are you sitting there? Another similarity with these teams. NC State does not turn it over much. Syracuse doesn't either. I know it feels like at times that that has been a problem for it us feels this like year. But individual performances where it looks right. bad, but the rest of the team for the most part does it like – one guy will play poorly in the turnover department, but the other four or five guys play really well. Yeah. And I do think NC State, gosh, I forgot the guy's first name, Smith, the freshman point guard that they had. Quavion Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a huge game against UNC. I think he scored 34, 35 points. Yeah. They got drubbed in their last game against UNC. It was a 20-point loss that actually was more like a 30 or 35-point loss at the Dean Dome. But – He's really starting to come into his own, but he's still inexperienced. And that's the only difference. Syracuse and NC State are the Spider-Man meme, but NC State is inexperienced. So I do think against the zone for the first time, they will turn it over. Plus, Syracuse forced 17 turnovers in their last game against Wake. So I think they're trending upwards in that column. Yeah, and, and did a very good job of protecting the ball as well right. in that game against Wake Forest. I'm I'm going to take Syracuse as well. I think they'll do a, a pretty solid job against an inexperienced team like that. I think it'll be more so that NC State will will fall into some turnovers as opposed to Syracuse does a better job of protecting the basketball. Yeah. All right, last one here, and then we'll get out of here. The BetOnline.net number is NC State minus one and a half as the home favorite. And the total at 153, where are you sitting on each of these numbers? DeBundo did a good job of laying this out, how it is kind of a tough spot. And I do think usually when it's Spider-Man mean very similar teams, you might lean towards the home team. But I like that Syracuse is experienced. And I think what it comes down to for me is I see NC State struggling against the zone based on how they like to get their shots, based on how inexperienced they are and how some of their guards that handle the ball a lot have not had a ton of experience against the zone. Sebron has really taken a step up this year and he scares me a little bit, but I'd feel a lot worse if Manny Bates was a factor or they had a guy down low, like Helms has hit some shots in that high post area against us and he's back this year, but we usually do pretty well against NC state. We swept them last year in three games, four and one at PNC arena. So I think they will go out and, and get a road win here. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I, I think the experience is a big thing. And also, it just feels like Syracuse has a little more to play for. I don't know if you get that vibe, too. Like, listen, I, I, neither of these teams are going to the NCAA tournament, all right? But it, Syracuse, I still think, has a pride to play for in, from a standpoint of we've got a legendary coach 
who has never gone sub 500. So I think right. that's something too, that, that these players, especially when two of the kids are on the team too, like everyone, a lot of people have talked about how the kids being on the team has been a bad thing. I think in this case, it actually is sort of a good thing when you're playing for pride. I think you play for a little more pride when you got two of the sons on the team. So I, especially when everyone's pretty friendly by all accounts, it seems like on the right. team as well. So I will take Syracuse as well. 153. That is a tall number, but I'll, I'll go over. Like I, I can right. see this being a very defensive struggle sort of game. So I'll, I'll take the over on this. This could be played in the eighties. We've seen these teams playing the, the eighties and nineties before. Yeah. Also some potential for overtime. I would say, yeah. I think it's a close mm-hmm. game, no matter what happens here, because yeah. they're such similar teams. I guess NC state could get blown out. I don't, I don't really see Syracuse getting blown out in this case, knock on wood. I'll take the under. And again, I think that's more because I feel like NC state's just going to struggle against the zone. Like I look at Ken Palm right now, 325th in the nation in assists per field goals made is NC state. So that tells me that they're not really passing to set up shots and you kind of need to do that to get to two, three zone. Yeah. That's a good call there. All right. That is going to do it for us on today's show. We'll be back tomorrow talking all things, recapping this game as well as maybe some other things. Maybe we'll have some new recruiting news or what have you on the show. So for Tim, I'm Tyler. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the game. And we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.